Thank you so much, all the musicians, folks that help. Such an important aspect of the service. Thank you for singing as a congregation. You ever been to a church where people don't sing? And, uh, boy, a few things will make a service fall flat like a congregation that won't sing. And um, But thank you so much. Take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter number 17. Deuteronomy and chapter number 17. Tonight I'm going to teach as much as I preach in this message. And it's really a message uh, for leadership. Everybody in this room is a leader in some way. Everybody in this room is older than someone else with the exception of one person. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and all of us uh, lead, and sometimes we lead without realizing it. Sometimes uh, uh, somebody's watching everybody. Somebody's watching us. Somebody's watching you. Sometimes we don't realize it. and We don't know the impact that we have or that we can have. And I've been fascinated. I've preached this passage to you before on several occasions. I've never preached through the passage, which I plan to do tonight. But I'm fascinated by its location in the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Stand with me, please, out of respect for the Word of God. I want to speak to you on the subject tonight. Needed a leader. Needed a leader. A lot of help wanted ads everywhere you go. (laughs) We need help. We need help. And our homes need help, our nations uh, need help, the nations of the world need help, our churches need help. Uh, We need some God-appointed leaders. I begin with verse 14, ask you to join me responsively. When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me, Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. Sorry about that. Yeah, I got my King James. I just got to make sure there. Verse, Verse 16. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses for as much as the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of the law and this statutes to do them. Now altogether, verse 20. That his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. God gives an explanation there at the very end of this passage as to the reason he gave all of these qualifications, requirements, whatever you want to call them. And it is at the end of verse number 20, to this end, to the end that he, that king, may prolong his days in his kingdom. He said, I want a king that will stay put. That's what he said. And if he's going to be a kind of king that brings stability, then this is what I want, this is what I expect of him. And so uh, we need leadership, but we need stable leadership. Our homes need stability. The greatest characteristic of God. God is holy. God is love. God is all-powerful, He's all-knowing, He's ever-present, He's just, He's right, He's merciful, He's gracious, He's forbearing, He's long-suffering. But His greatest attribute, He never changes. Always the same. He's always holy, always loving, always all-powerful, always just, always right. And God is stable. You know why you ought to anchor your life in Jesus Christ? Because the rest of this world is spinning out of control. And he alone can bring stability to your life. We'll speak to you on the subject tonight, needed a leader. Heavenly Father, please, through the power of the Holy Spirit, 
Allow me to convey, Lord, the things that you have laid upon my heart for this hour. I need your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, let me speak to you about what fascinates me the most about this passage. And then I want to take you on a trek through it. This is the book of Deuteronomy. We call the first five books of the Bible the Pentateuch. Moses was given these first five books of the Bible. And holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Moses was the holy man that God used when the Spirit of God gave these eternal words forever settled in heaven. Psalm 1989, unto Moses. They didn't come into existence when God gave the words to Moses. And when Moses pinned them down, they were transferred uh, from heaven to earth. And uh, that uh, is uh, through a process called inspiration, according to Paul's writing to Timothy. And uh, these holy men of all, old Peter wrote, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the author of this book right here. Amen. God is the author of this book. Man didn't, man penned the book, but God is the author of the book. Amen. And so here we are in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, uh, 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 the timeline of Deuteronomy, we, we're talking about an event that would take place in 1 Samuel and chapter number 8. You don't need to turn to it. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, the qualifications laid down in Deuteronomy will not be needed until these centuries later. In fact, it will be 350 years before Saul will be anointed king by Samuel. When the people said, give us a king, we want to be like the nations around us. Samuel complained to the Lord and God told Samuel, he said, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Samuel was the last judge of the nation of Israel between uh, 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 the leadership of Moses and his successor Joshua. After the death of Joshua, there was no clear leader for, for many, many years. And there was uh, the nation went up and down, backslid, got right, and backslid, got right. And God sent Othniel and Gideon and others that would, uh, and Samuel eventually that would judge the people or serve as uh, 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 law and order, so to speak, if you would. Samuel's the only man in the Bible that, uh, that filled three offices of a judge, but also of a prophet uh, uh, and a priest as well. He uh, was the religious head uh, of the nation. He was uh, God's spokesperson as the prophet as well as uh, as the judge. And when he was rejected, uh, his sons, uh, like sadly, like many men greatly used of God, uh, uh, sadly his sons uh, did not follow in his steps, and uh, they did not honor uh, what they had learned from their dad. And uh, and the nation said, we don't want those guys ruling over us. And you're old, and, and you're not going to be around forever. Give us a king. We want to be like the Moabites. We'll be like the Ammonites. We want to be like the Syrians, and so forth like that. And uh, God did not plan for them. He did not plan for them to have a king. It was not God's plan. That was their idea. He told Samuel, they're rejecting me. It was personal with God. But God, who is not limited by time, looked down into the future through his foreknowledge, just like he looks down into the future and sees whether or not you are going to exercise uh, your will to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or whether you're going to reject Jesus Christ. He looks down through time. He does not manipulate your decision, but he looks down through time. And through his foreknowledge, he knows what you're going to do. And a lot of stuff happens in heaven even before you came into existence. Because God, in his foreknowledge, not control your decision, but saw your decision. Amen. And already started making preparation. Amen. I get excited when I think about that doctrine. In the same way, God looked down through time and he saw the nation of Israel would reject him, ultimately reject him. And 350 years... Before they rejected him, he began to make preparation, not for their failure in the sense that let me prepare and help them to fail, but let me help them, prepare to help them because they are going to fail. They are going to reject my plan. And so 350 years 
Before they would ever had a king, have a king, God did not want them to have a king. It was not His plan for them to have a king. But He looked down through time. He saw that they would fail. And He said, Moses, you and I have a special relationship. Uh, you, you're the greatest leader, the, the, uh, uh, the meekest man that ever lived. I think next to Christ, the greatest leader that ever, that ever graced the page of Scripture. Uh, several million Jews for 40 years in a wilderness. Wow. He had some leadership abilities. And God said, I want you to write this. I want you to write down some leadership qualifications for the future. The, the kingdom, the nation is going to have a king. Against my wishes, they're going to have a king. But since they're going to do it, I'd like to help them make the best of their situation. May I say this, dear friend? I, I love this about our God. Our God, He's not an all or nothing God. It, 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 God does not, uh, God, it's not a one strike and you're out God. No, no. He told his disciples, they said, how many times supposed to forgive? Seven times. Seven times? He said, 70 times seven. A just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. Seven is the number of perfection. There's seven notes in a, in a scale. There's seven days in a week. Seven colors in the rainbow. After every Sunday comes a Monday. After every Monday comes a Tuesday. What God is saying there in the Proverbs when he said a just man falleth seven times, it means every time he falls, he gets back up. It's a number of completion. In other words, he doesn't stay down. He gets back up. So God is always preparing for our success, even when He knows we're going to fail. God doesn't want you to throw in the towel. Amen. And God in His mind and heart said, my people are going to turn their back on my plan. They're going to reject my leadership. He said, I'm not giving up on them. In fact, 350 years in advance, I'm going to give specific instructions to help those who will lead my people, even though it's not my first choice. That's a gracious God right there. you got to admit, that's pretty amazing God, isn't it? And I, can I tell you, I don't know what, how you got in the mess you're in tonight. <laughs> how did you, no. I, I don't know how you got in the mess you're in tonight, but God wants to help you with your mess. God wants to help you make the best of it. Amen? And one of the things the devil do, crawl up on your shoulder and say, well, you made this mistake, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, and you're not, you're not even supposed to be right here right now. How in the world? And God said, I, God knew all that. God, and yet here you are in church on Sunday night. Amen? Isn't it wonderful? Amen? God has a plan to help you succeed. And God had a plan for His people to succeed. He knew they would look outside of God's will for a leader. He said, since you're going to do that, let me tell you what kind of leader you need. Now follow me. And I'm going to teach tonight. Primarily teach. And I'll preach a little bit in between. <laughs> look at verse number 14. When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. You get in trouble when you start wanting to be like the world around you. But when you get there, here's some qualifications, if you will. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. Here's the first thing. Choose. This should be a man of God's choosing. This should be a man of God's choosing. A man of God's choosing. Um, May I say this, Dad? Children are inheritance of the Lord, fruit of the womb is His reward. If you're dad tonight, you're the man of God's choosing for that child. You're the man of that, uh, God's choosing for that child. Uh, uh, you, you're the man that child needs more than anybody else. I know life gets complicated. I know life doesn't always go the way we think it ought to go. But may I say this, in those rearing, those precious years of, of rearing that child uh, 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 and bringing that child to, to adulthood, we'll just say 18 tonight, uh, uh, and uh, I understand that's not a hard, fast number, but uh, you understand those those uh, those uh, 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 formidable years. Uh, listen, you said I, I'm not a very good dad. I'm not really a good example. But let me tell you, you God gave that fruit to you, uh, and so you step up to the plate. Amen. You you be the man God chose you to be. I remember so many years ago, one of our men came to me. He said, Pastor. He said, I I, don't, I tell my kids, no, 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 don't don't look to me, don't look to me. I said, Sir, Sir. You could say that all day long, and that won't change the fact that they're still going to look to you. You don't just say, well, I don't, I'm not a very good example, so don't follow me. You don't just wipe away your responsibility just by, well, you know, I'm not what I ought to be, so don't look at me. Oh, let me tell you something. They're looking at you. They're looking at you. And what you say with your mouth carries some weight, but not near as much weight as the walk that you walk. 
Hey, he said, I want some men of my choosing. I want some men of my choosing. Hey, if you know tonight, you're in a place where God has put you in that teen department, in that school, in that youth department, your place of service where God has put you. You be the man. You're God's chosen man, so be the man of God's choosing. Be the man of God's choosing. Every home needs a dad who's consecrated Jesus Christ. Me and you and I are called to be the spiritual leaders of our homes. Don't raise your hand. You can jab your wife in the, in the ribs if you want to, ladies. Well, your family sits down at the table, eat a meal. Who's the most spiritual person in the room? It's supposed to be you, Dad. Who's the one that's in love with the Lord? It's supposed to be you, Dad. You're the one supposed to be the leader. Who's the one that says, oh, all right, come on, we're going to church. Who's the one that says, hey, 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 nah, cut that off. Who's the one that says, eh, no, no, I'm not going to listen to that. Who's the, who's the one that takes the initiative? It's supposed to be us. It's supposed to be dad. If God, you're God's chosen man. If the fruit of the womb is reward, if God, if God bless you in that regard, then you're the man of God's choosing, then choose to be God's man. Choose to take your place. Oh, how this world, our homes need men of God's choosing to be the man God chose them to be. He said, we need a leader. Number one, make it a man of God's choosing. Number two, this is very interesting. Verse 15 again, thou shalt in any wise send him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. Here's the second thought. Number number one, a man of God's choosing. Number two, a man with undivided loyalties. A man with undivided loyalties. What are you talking about, Pastor? We know that God chose Abraham and his seed as God's chosen people. It doesn't mean that the Jews are better than anybody else. It just means God chose them. God chose his son to come through the lineage of the Jewish nation. God chose to give us his word to the lineage of the Jewish nation. God has a plan for the nation of Israel in this day and in the future. The church does not replace God's plan for Israel. God has a plan for his people at this age. And God still has a plan for the nation of Israel. And the promise of Genesis 12, 1 through 3, you bless Israel, God will bless you. You curse Israel, God will curse you. Is still intact today. And the worst decision we could ever make as a nation is to stand in opposition of Israel. We as God. God's people are love and pray for the peace of Jerusalem and support God's chosen people. Even though they're in a position of apostasy against Him right now. They stand as a nation against God. Israel needs revival. Israel needs salvation. Israel needs the Messiah. Their Messiah, Jesus Christ. And there's coming a time... In the future, hallelujah, where 144,000 of those young men are going to get born again by the grace of God and they're going to spread all over the world sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. There's coming a time where they will see and recognize Him as their Messiah. Well, God said this. He said, when you, when you choose a king, choose a man who is not a stranger. Now, why would He say it? When the nation of Israel left Egypt, the Bible says, uh, you remember that, that last night, the night, the, the tenth and final uh, uh, judgment, a plague, where the death angel came through, and if you didn't have the blood on the doorpost uh, of your home, if you didn't uh, sacrifice a lamb, put the blood, uh, apply the blood as the, uh, 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 the instructions were given that Passover night. If you had, then the death angel would come through and he would pass over. But if you had not, then the eldest in that house uh, eldest, uh, the firstborn in that house would be killed. Well, when that happened, then the Egyptians uh, and Pharaoh they they couldn't get rid of the Israelites fast enough. After that happened, after every every disobedient household throughout the land of Egypt, there were screams and cries of agony and grief, and they said, "We got to get these these Jews out of here. We got to get them out of here." And they said, "Leave, leave, leave!" And and, and said, "Here, we'll help you. Here, here's all the food in our cupboard, and here's our jewels, and here's our gold, and here's all the money we've got saved. Here, take it all." And they they loaded them up. Said, "Get out of our land." Well, the Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us that as they left, a mixed multitude followed them. There were opportunists. 
There were people who uh, uh, were not, uh, were not uh, Israelites, but they had friendships with the Israelites. And maybe they lived near some of them. Maybe they traded with them and so forth like that. And they saw the plagues in Egypt. Man, this place is cursed. They might have been Egyptians, some of them. Some of them may have uh, been uh, other nationalities and so forth uh, uh, from, from other nations that, that just dwelt there and, and had some kind of dealings. They knew the Jews. But obviously they could see. I mean, when it, when it fell dark, it was pitch black in Egypt, but it was as bright as day in Goshen. And when the hell and the, it all came and, and the storms came, uh, it's storming all over Egypt and then over in Goshen, it's just clear blue skies. I mean, you, I mean, anybody with their eyes half open could see God's hand is on these people. And a lot of people say, man, we want to stay in Egypt. We want to go to these folks, man. They got the favor of Jehovah God on them. Now, here's what he said. He said, when it comes to have a king, he said, don't choose a stranger. What he's saying is, don't choose someone who has divided loyalties. Don't choose someone who has divided loyalties. Can I say this tonight? I won't say it kindly, but I believe this in my soul. I believe if you come to America, you need to be an American. And that ought not be controversial. If you're going to come and live in a country, buy into the values of that country. Don't come and change the country. Now, I'm thankful. Man, we are a hodgepodge around here, are we not? We are a hodgepodge nation. There's no doubt about it. But, but, but God said this. You, 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 you need somebody that is all in for my plan for my people. That's what you need. And may I say this? Listen, you know what every home needs? Every home needs a dad who's all in for his family and for their needs. Homes don't need men with divided loyalties. Pulpits don't need, need men of divide, uh, divided loyalties. Your place of leadership needs somebody who's all in for that place of service that God has given you. Exodus twelve thirty eight talks about that mixed multitude. And I believe God knew down through time when the heat came on, some of them would say, man, I'm not even, I'm not, man, I'm not even part of this. I'm out of here. It would lead the nation away from the values that they had historically. We need a leader, man of God's choosing. Man who also chooses to be God's man. A man with undivided loyalties. Look at the third thing here, in verse number 16. But he shall not multiply horses to himself. He shall not multiply horses to himself. Nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses. In other words, don't go down to Egypt and get, get the best horses and don't send somebody on your behalf to go down there and get the best horses. For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Here's what he said. A man of God's choosing. Number two, a man with undivided loyalties. And number three, a man with undivided interests. A man with undivided interests. In other, in other words, a man who was all in for God's plan, for his life, and for his leadership position, and for the people that he, with whom he was going to, and to, uh, uh, that he was going to serve, a man that was hundred uh, percent loyal to uh, the call of God and to the people that God had given him to serve, and uh, and, and a man whose interests were not divided. An interest in horses, which in itself was not a sinful interest. But an interest in horses, God knew, would lead eventually to an affiliation with Egypt. Because that's where the best horses were. And he said, if you, when you choose a king, I want him to be a man of my choosing. I want him to be a man of undivided loyalties. And I want him to be a man of undivided interest. He needs to be interested in what's happening in his own nation. <laughs> he doesn't need to be preoccupied with what's going on out there in Egypt and where the best horses are. No, I want him, his interest, to be where he leads with his own people. You might say, well, I'm 100% loyal, but my friends aren't. Then you won't be loyal very long. And God knew that. 
I don't want a man going down to Egypt. I don't want him going down, getting interested and tied up with Egypt. I don't even want to send pe- him sending people down there on his behalf, even if he doesn't go himself. I don't want him going down there, being interested in what Egypt is producing and get the latest and best that Egypt has to produce. Too many of God's people, too many leaders of God's people are trying to pick, pick the best stuff from the world. And this is not bad. The world has this to offer. The world has this to offer. Listen, I believe in... Being first class for the Lord, I believe we ought to do the work of God well. I, I, I thank God for the clean buildings. This lady sitting over here, I appreciate the work she does to keep our buildings clean. I appreciate the work that many of our young men have done that helped us uh, hourly through the years and uh, uh, some now helping us. I appreciate that. I appreciate the you men that help uh, take care of the vehicles. I appreciate all the preparation. It, take, it takes a lot of work to hear one choir special. It takes a lot of work. You take the man hours of about 45, 40, 45, or 50 people, and an hour, you talk about right there, you're talking about 50 man hours every Sunday afternoon, and, and one special right there, you're going to have 50, 100, 150 man hours uh, to hear a special. I mean, I believe in all of this. But, but, but can, I say, can I say this? My friend, we're, we're, we're not trying to keep up with corporate America. We're not, we're not, we're not trying to be cutting edge. I'm not against, uh, I, I want to do things first class. I've got to be clean. I think the house of God I'll be taken care of. It's not spiritual to be poor. It's not spiritual to be ignorant. It's not spiritual to be half broken down. Okay? And sometimes we sort of, uh, sometimes we almost spiritualize those things. I think we ought to do things first class. But let me tell you something. We don't need to try to keep up with the world. We don't need to try to keep up with the world. We don't need to find out what the latest thing that the world is doing. Yes, the world might provide some tools. I'm not against using tools for the glory of God. But can I tell you something, my dear friend? Listen, I, I, we, we, might, be, we have, might have the cutting edge everything. Cutting edge vehicle, cutting edge building, cutting edge uh, uh, videography, cutting edge. But if we don't pray and don't read the Bible and don't pass out tracts and don't teach the Word of God and don't witness for Jesus Christ, might as well shut the whole thing down. Our, our loyalties and our interests ought to be right here. The ministry is, is people. The ministry is people. And all of God's people are called to minister. The, the great commission of going to all the world, preach and baptize and teach. That's to all of us. Every believer. That's not for preachers. That's not just for the apostles. It was a continuation. He said it to the apostles. He said, but when you win someone, then teach them to do what I just told you. And that's a continue. They teach and they win and they teach and they win. And they, that goes all the way down to me and you. How many of you, someone led you to Christ? Yeah. Guess what? Now it's your job to do for someone else what God did for you. And let me tell you something, my dear friend. Listen, I'd rather have a rack of gospel tracts and a New Testament than I would have a multi-million dollar building. You can be a going church without a nice building. I thank God for our building. I think it honors God. I think it shows dignity. And, and it certainly is, a, it certainly is a, a monument to God's blessing, power, and favor, and the sacrifice of God's people. Amen. But if this building gets blown down by a hurricane tonight, you and I can still be a gospel witness for Jesus Christ. And we can still pray. And we can still love people. He said, I want a man... That hasn't, does not have divided interests. There's a principle in here that I want you to understand. Here it is. Do not develop appetites that cannot be righteously satisfied. Here he is. This is 350 years worth of every king. He says, tell that guy, whoever he's going to be, tell him, I don't, don't, don't go get a bunch of horses. You don't need horses. You're, you're supposed to be a king. Don't worry about, don't be, don't be, don't get too interested in horses. What does he say? He's saying, do not develop an appetite that cannot be righteously satisfied. God knew there's nothing wrong in itself of loving horses, having a horse full of a barn, a horse full of barns, uh, a barn full of horses. There's nothing wrong with that. But he said, he, in itself, it's not a sinful thing. But God knew that it would divide his interests, and those interests would take him to a place that he didn't need to go. You know what I teach our musicians? Sebastian, we want we want to sing this song. First of all, I don't care what you think about this. I'm not telling you this. If you want to have an opinion, you can have an opinion about it or not. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I, I believe before God, I, gotta, I have to give an account. And let me tell you, in this day and age, for a pastor of a fundamental Baptist church, one of the biggest fights that pastors are fighting is trying to keep the music harnessed. It's one of the biggest fights. 
the churches are going hog wild after the world's sound. And so I asked the musician, you want to sing a song? Let pastor know what it is. Let pastor know what it is. And you know what else I tell him? I, I say, uh, send me a link. Send me a link. He said, why you do that, pastor? I'll tell you why. Because right now, kid sits in church and hears a song. He says, I like that song. Guess what he does before he leaves church? Click, click, click. I want to find that song. If it takes him to an avenue that's going to draw him to music and a genre of music that is not healthy, I don't care to have that song in here. He says, it's a good song with good words. It might be. I'm not anathema on the song itself. I just don't want to create an appetite that cannot be righteously satisfied. Does this make a lick of sense to anybody? Some of you, you ought to apply that to amusements at the house. Well, this in itself is not bad. But what kind of appetite are you creating in your kids? What, what desires are you creating? He said, don't, get, don't justify. Well, what's sinful about a horse? Nothing. Nothing. But God knew it would draw him to a different crowd. It would draw him to different company. And when you get around people, those people affect you. That would come back and thus affect the leadership, which would infect, affect, infect as well, infect and affect the entire nation. And God said, you don't need divided interests. You keep your interests right on track. And you don't, there's some things, listen, that's what Hebrews says, lay aside every sin and the weights. There's some things in the Christian life that are not sinful, but good godly people with some wisdom say, you know, that's really not best for me. No, it's not sinful, but it throws me in a crowd of people that I don't really need to be around. There's another principle here, and that is this. Do not, by tacit approval, put a stumbling block in your brother's way. Do not by tacit approval put a stumbling block in your brother's way. In other words, the king, God knew this, the king may say no to Egypt while creating expectation and appetites in his people that drew them to Egypt. In other words, the king might be able to get by with having a nice stable full of horses without himself going to Egypt, but that other people see, hey, the king does that. Hey, that's what you do. You know, if you're important, you get your stable full of horses, which would then draw people who are not as strong, perhaps, as the king. Where? To Egypt. Back to a heathen land. You know, well, listen, it's time God's people... Listen, can, can I tell you something, my dear friend? It, it's okay... It's okay if you don't win any accolades from the world. It's okay if you don't get applause from the world. It's okay if you're not the best of the best of the world. Listen, we're God's people. And the Bible says we're, we're just passing through. Our citizenship is in heaven. Well, listen, I want, we ought to be salt and light and exercise whatever influence that God can give us. But God's people need to be careful about being so interested in this world around us that we're drawn away from Him and His work and tied up with a bunch of godless people who water down our Christianity. A leader must say no to things that are not sinful because they could lead followers to a place of temptation. Dad, can I ask you a question? If you're the leader in your home, what does that mean? That means you've got to expect more of yourself than you expect of others. If you're not in front, you're not leading. (laughs) Is that clear? If you're not a step or two ahead, you're not leading. And in order to take somebody somewhere, you've got to be out in front of them. Amen. You've got to be out in front of them. Amen. Amen. That means there's some things, Dad, if you want to be the leader your family needs, that they themselves may not even be sinful. But it's time you say no to it. Because it could lead others. Next. Look at verse number 17. I said, a man of God's choosing, a man with undivided loyalties, a man with undivided interests, number four, a man who values substance over status. Verse 17, neither shall he multiply wives to himself. Now, there's some pretty obvious reasons in this statement right here. You know, no no man needs more than one wife. Okay. (laughs) Uh, it, it, it's not a good idea. Even if it wasn't sinful, it's not a good idea. 
But what happens? Why did these? Why is he saying this? 350 years. Neither shall he multiply wives. Well, first of all, that's what the heathen did. The nations around them, that's what they did. These men of heathen nations, they had harems. They had wives, full-time wives, they had part-time wives, had summer wives, and all, just... And uh, he said, don't, don't multiply wives. Now, what, why, why, would, why would these men do this anyway? Multiplying wives in this culture was more about PR. It was more about public relations than anything else. It was about building alliances with sister countries and nations. If you marry into another family, then there's a, a loyalty there. And if you are married to the daughter of King so-and-so, then you're going to have a peace accord with King so-and-so, and your wife's going to make sure of it. Because <laughs> you, you ain't going to war against my daddy. <laughs> right? So a man who multiplied wives, a king, rather, multiplied wives, it was more than anything, it was about uh, status. It was about building alliances and about establishing power. It was about PR. But it always came at a price. Those wives must be kept happy. Even the, the moral part, that's, that's a no-brainer. That's obvious. Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man, singular, leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, singular, and they too shall be one flesh. Amen? One man, one woman. That's God's plan. Always has been God's plan. God knows we deviate from his plan and he wants to help us succeed. That's the whole illustration of this passage. But God said this. He said, we had a king tell him not to multiply wives. Why? They will turn his heart away. Who's the wisest young man that ever lived? Solomon. Solomon felt miserably in this area, did he not? A thousand wives, 700 part-timers. Now he was filthy rich because of it. Everybody sent tribute money to Solomon. All these nations around. Every one of those thousand wives were connected to somebody important. Those 700 part-timers, they were all connected to somebody important. And they all sent tribute to Solomon. They all bought their peace with Solomon at a great price. The Bible said silver in Solomon's day, silver. People break in the house and steal the silver in the house. Silver in Solomon's day was like rocks. It was like stones. People were so wealthy. If you, if, if you had a, 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 a wheelbarrow full of Silver, solid silver, people say, what are you doing with those rocks? What a waste of time. It's easier to have, listen to this statement, it's easier to have a lot of shallow friends than it, has to, than it is to have one deep friendship. These men, when they got to power, were tempted to want to build a network of friends, build a network of of relationships rather than taking the time and the work and the effort and the self-denial and the humility to build one genuine, deeply loving, abiding, lifelong relationship. And God knew because of their position that it would be a temptation to them. So why did he mention this? Of course, for moral reasons. I think that's obvious to all of us. But he said, tell him not to multiply wives. He said, why? Because you need a king who's more about substance than he is about status, who, who values depth over images, who values deep abiding relationships and real loyalties and deep love than a guy who's got a... Listen, you know, you know, you know what... Uh, do you know what the communication age has done for us? One of the things it's done for us, it's allowed us to have hundreds and thousands of friendships that are about a half inch deep. But we have sacrificed, in some cases, depth of friendship. And I got news for you. You'd be better off having one true friend, someone you lay down your life for, and who lays their life down for you, then you would be ha to have a thousand followers. And this king, the, the kings, and, and, and obviously, every one of these things they broke. <laughs> every one of them. The problems that were caused. When David justified 
his marriage to wife number two. He, he wound up with about a dozen before it was over. When he justified his marriage to wife number two, he destroyed any possibility of having a truly deep abiding love and loyalty to any wife. That's a strong statement, I know. Let me give it again. When David justified his marriage to wife number two, he destroyed any possibility of having a truly deep abiding love and loyalty to any wife. And you understand what I'm talking about. I'm talking about David didn't have like one wife and then another wife, then another wife, then another wife. He had like, you know, A, B, C, D, F, G. You know, any, me, any, my, name, I like you this way. So I'm not, I'm not talking about someone who had a marriage and failed and got right with God and is going on. That's not what I'm talking about tonight. But I'm talking about here's a man, David, even his position, he justified it. Everyone else was doing it. He justified it. And what did it do? It weakened his ability to be a loving, committed man. You know what God needs? God needs a man who values character over image. Amen. Who values substance over status. Who values depth over image. God needs some men, some leaders who, 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 who take the time. Man, if you want to enhance every aspect of your life, your work life, your, your family, extended family life, every aspect of your life, you know what you can do? Invest in your marriage. Invest in your marriage. You want to be a better Sunday school teacher? Invest in your marriage. Want to be a better work, bus worker? Invest in your marriage. Want to be a better choir member? Invest in your marriage. Invest, invest, invest next to your relationship to God. Gentlemen, the most important relationship in your life is relationship to your wife. And you say, well, we're not getting along. Work on that thing. Get on your face before God. Ask for God to fill you with His love. Ask God to give you wisdom. Don't entertain the idea of trading her in for another model. Why don't you give yourself to what God has given to you? There may come a time where that opportunity is taken away from you, not of your choosing, but circumstances might be. It's two people. Two people have to decide together. It might be one day that's over. And if that be the case, so be it. And you can look at a new chapter of your life. But until that moment comes, you give your all to that relationship that you now have. Number five. He says in verse 17, Neither shall he multiply wives to himself that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself, silver and gold. Now, it's interesting he didn't say that he should not multiply silver and gold. He said greatly multiply. I think it was understood he was going to be a man of means as, as, a, as a leader of a nation. But what he's saying is, I don't want you to be a tr- a distracted by that. Needed a leader, a man of God's choosing, a man with undivided loyalties, a man with undivided interest, a man who values depth over image, number five, a man who can trust God and live simply. A man who can trust God and live simply. A man who can trust God and live simply. You know, if we're not careful, we'll spend our lives trying to lay up security for the future. And I'm not against for you planning. I'm not against for you uh, laying up for your grandchildren as the Bible talks about. But but in this world, we have the idea, this world has the idea, we know our security. Let me tell you something. Uh, watch the stock market. <laughs> and you can use, lose your security overnight. Our security comes from God. Amen. And God said, I need some men who can trust me. Who can trust me. Who are not above living simply. A man who can walk with me and trust me for his daily needs. One last one. Look at it with me, if you would, in verse number 18. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom. They shall write him. Circle the word write, please. He shall write him. He shall write. The king himself with his own hands. He shall write him. A copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites, and it, that copy that he wrote, it shall be with him and he shall, circle the word, read therein all the days of his life. He shall write him a copy God said, I I want the king, when he gets here 350 years from now, I want him to sit down with the law of God, the word of God, and I want him to pick up a quill, and I want want him to get a a writing instrument, and get him some parchment, get him a scroll, and I want him to sit down. He said, well, that took a long time. Yep, sure did. Here's what it took. It took mental discipline. God said, I want a man 
of mental discipline. A man of mental discipline. A man of mental discipline. You know what writing requires? Mental discipline. You know what reading requires? Mental discipline. He shall write him a copy of this book. He shall then carry it with him every day. It shall be with him. And he shall read therein all the days of his life. Hey guys, where's your Bible? Men, dads, head the home. Father, dad, sir, where's your Bible? Where's it at? Where are you at in your Bible reading? Are you on schedule? What'd you get out of the Bible today, gentlemen? What'd you get out of the Word today? He shall write him a copy and read therein all the days of his life. Why would he, why would he have him do that? Look at this right here. That he, middle of verse 19. Why? That he may learn to fear the Lord. Do you know what mental discipline will do? I'm talking about disciplining yourself, men, to sit down and to read and to write the thoughts that God gives you and put pen to paper. It will cause you to have reverence for God, reverence for the Word of God. It'll change your attitude. You will learn to fear the Lord. And I would say, listen, many of you men are disciplined, and many, some of you guys are so disciplined uh, in your eating habits, and it convicts me. I, I don't like to get around you. Uh, but, uh, but you're disciplined. I respect you for that. Some of you men are disciplined in your exercise routine. And uh, I'm pretty ripped myself. That's why I don't take my jacket off. But anyway, uh, but some of you guys are disciplined. And I admire that. That's wonderful. And those areas of discipline, discipline in one area of life helps to increase discipline in other areas of life. But God said this. I'm telling you what we need. We need men of mental discipline. We mean men who don't think about everything that flashes in front of their face and everything that walks down the sidewalk. Listen, there's images all over this place. We all need that. But we need some men of mental discipline. Like the psalmist wrote, let thine eyes look right on. Let thine eyelids look straight before thee. And like Job said, I made a covenant with mine eyes. We need some men to control their minds and their thoughts to set their affections. And don't let images draw their affections away. But set their affections. The Bible said, set your affections on things above. Take your affections and put them where they ought to be. And don't let everything that comes along, every sound and every billboard and every something to draw your affection away. Put your affection where it ought to be. Put your affection back on your family. Put your affection back on your own wife. Put your affection back on your own kids. Put your affection on those that you serve in the ministry. And be a man of mental discipline. Exercise your mind. Read something, gentlemen. I said read something, gentlemen. Start with this book right here. Be a man who reads, who studies. We need some leaders who can think. Entire societies are crumbling under the iron fist of communism because people cannot think for themselves. We're we're manipulated. Don't do it while I'm preaching the message. You do it when you get home. Type in these words on Google. Men can. And Google will feed you what they want you to think about. Not not what everybody else is typing in. You do understand that, right? You do understand that when you type something in Google, they're not going to tell you what everybody else is typing in. They're going to tell you what they want you to think everybody's typing in. You know what you'll find? Men, just two words. Men can. Don't do it now, please. Don't do it now. Men can have babies. Men can feed children. People are a manipulator. Why? Out of ignorance. Because we're not mentally disciplined. He said, I want men who read and write. They'll learn by that to fear me. Verse 19. They'll learn to keep all the words of this law. They'll learn values. I'm going to hang on to this. They'll learn reverence. They'll learn values. Into verse 19. Keep all the words of this law and these statutes. To do them, they'll learn obedience. They'll learn in verse 20 that his heart be not lifted up. You'll learn humility by these mental disciplines. 
and that he turn not aside, he'll learn focus. I'm going to ask you guys to raise your hand. How many of you say, bro, I have a hard time focusing. I have a hard time focusing on something. Get in this book right here. Read, write. It will help you with reverence, values, obedience, humility, focus. And we're at the end. It will create the kind of men that every place of leadership needs. Here it is. To the end. That he may prolong his days in his kingdom. That he may prolong his days. Brother Calvin, how old are you? You're 42. Tell your wife to be quiet, please. Uh, 52. Brittany, I'm trying to preach a message. <laughs> Can I challenge you something? When you're 72, be leading that teen department. Brother Rodney, you still 39? When you're 49, 56. Won't you just keep on doing what God's put you in there to do? Amen. Well, let's, let's be stable. Let's just be stable. Fellas, really, you're going you, to give up on that marriage? What are you going to do? You give up on this marriage, you go to the next one. You're taking the same decision maker that you used on the last time, you're taking it to the new one. And you're not going to do any better. Why don't you just settle in and say, you know what? It's time for me to be what God wants me to be. How many people out here looking? Man came up to me in old auditorium last thing, and I'll stop with this. Came as pastor, please pray for me that I can find a good wife. I said, no, a, 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 good, a godly wife. I said, no, sir, I will not. He said, Pastor, why wouldn't you pray for me to find a good godly wife? Because I was in counseling with him and the woman to whom he is married. He's ready to cash her. He thought his problems were the fact his wife wasn't godly enough. And if he just found him a godly wife, everything is a prayer for that. No, I'm not going to pray for you. How about you go home and look in the mirror and say, you're the problem and you're the solution. It's time for you. You're the man of God's choosing, so choose to be the man God wants you to be. That's what our homes need. It's what our churches need. It's what our society needs. Let's stand together. Father.